Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right. Good morning, everybody. And once again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and uh, right alongside, of course, is my good friend and partner in crime, as it were, um, LPJ professional Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. Um, as I was just telling you off air, the uh, sun is shining here in Florida, which typically it does, but it hasn't been for a while. So I'm I'm in a good frame of mind. I'm very, very excited. We've got uh, actually one of my favorite guests, I think, uh, coming up here first off um, to talk about what's happening on the Symmetra Tour. Mike Nichols, of course, the chief business officer, and uh, he's going to be uh, telling us what's going to happen in, in 2021. So I'm going to just uh, tell you a little bit more about him, and then we'll bring him on, and so we'll get started. And then a little bit later on the show, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Class L- Class A LPJ uh, teacher professional Jamie Leno Zimron will be joining us on the second half of the show. All right, Mike Nichols, as I mentioned, is the chief business officer of the LPJ Symmetra Tour. Uh, has been that since uh, July of 2012. Prior to that, he served as the VP of Tournament Business Affairs at the LPJ. And he also served as the championship director of the 2005 U.S. Senior Open. So let's welcome, Cindy, uh, one of our favorite guests, Mike Nichols. Good morning. Morning. How are you both? We're doing great. How are you? Good, thank you. Can't (laughs) complain. Like Ted here in Florida and the sun is shining, so uh, certainly uh, no complaint. Well, that's good to hear. (laughs) Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna complain this morning. Um, Cindy, you go ahead. You can start off. So, how are things going, and when do we get moving? Yeah, well, we're we're excited to get moving next week. Uh, the Symmetra Tour season will open up for the first time, at least in my tenure. We, this will be our forty first season uh, in total, but at least in the eight years I've been doing it. It'll be the first time we've opened with an event on the West coast. So we will uh, start with a a tournament in uh, Mesa, Arizona Uh, next week, uh, the Carlisle um, Arizona women's uh, classic. And so uh, we're just, we're just as anxious as anybody to get started on what we uh, are anticipating will be a full slate of at least 20 tournaments. We've announced 19. We've got one that we're still uh, working on the contractual details. And then, maybe a couple other surprises. So we'll play at least 20 times. And then as we always do, we will finish the season here in Daytona beach, the first week of October and uh, award the 10 cards to our uh, 10 graduates onto the LPGA tour. So uh, like everybody, we're 
looking forward to getting closer to a, a sense of normalcy. And I feel like uh, we're pretty close, isn't it? Re- but as it relates to our season and uh, sort of our tradition of graduating 10 players, I think that we're on track to make that happen for sure this year. Awesome. Awesome. Ted? Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so let's talk about, um, obviously you're bringing back um, a good majority of the events um, into full season. Were there some carryovers from last year, meaning were there some that got canceled obviously last year um, that you're just you know going to have the 2021 um, uh, version, if you will? And what about some new, uh, any new sponsors or new events uh, in the calendar this year? Yeah, there are there are a number of events um, that uh, have been with us for a number of years that are uh, that are coming back um, that took last year off for obvious reasons. They kind of fell in that uh, time of year where uh, where we took off to sort of you know brush off our wounds and fi- figure out what was going on. So we have a number of events that are back from sort of a one year hiatus, and then a number of new events, uh, and then actually two events um, that were supposed to be new events last year in. Uh, in Utah and Idaho that uh, we were supposed to play for the first time last year and they pushed to this year. So those will be inaugural events in uh, those two. And then we added a new tournament uh, that we'll be playing out West, as I mentioned in, uh, in Tucson. So we'll be looking forward to adding that. Uh, the Symmetra tour played there historically in the past, but has not played there in, uh, in quite a while, but more than anything, um, you know, we're in then uh, we're looking forward to hopefully adding a, like I said, another new event or two over the, over the course of the season. So, it's um, it's sort of a mixed bag. The 20 events that we, when we announced the 2020 schedule, we had a 20 event slate uh, on tap, and uh, you know, so this year we're back with sort of what is a you know different version of uh, of the 20 plus events that we had planned to play when we started next year. But uh, I have all the confidence in the world that we'll that we'll end up playing all of those. I mean, as states are states are opening and things are getting back to normal and some of the the states that we've played in that may have historically been sort of maybe more of a concern or problematic like california and michigan we played both of those last year sort of what i would call in the height of it all so uh really have no concern about being able to sort of fulfill the entire season this year so what about as far as let me just follow up on that what about as far as um are you taking similar precautions as last year uh, as far as the players are concerned, um, you know, are they still going to be required to, uh, to wear masks while they're playing or not wear masks? What's going to be the protocol uh, for this season? Yeah, so, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, when we had, when we had our player meeting a couple weeks ago, we said to the players, you know, if anybody played last year, you can expect more of the same this year. So, you know, um, you know, we're not going to be able to allow the players to stay in, you know, tour-sponsored host housing, and they will be wearing masks when they're not inside the ropes, and they'll be prohibited from, you know, going out to eat in groups. Like, everybody has to sort of take their food home and eat it at home instead of in, in group settings. And our pro-ams, which are traditionally a scramble, are going to be a shamble, which is a little bit more um, socially distanced. We won't have some of the typical pre-tournament parties and stuff like that. So, I sort of feel like we'll provide 80% of the experience that, you know, sponsors um, sort of have right. historically enjoyed uh, from us in terms of like the full, the full experience. But, you know, really we're the biggest thing that we're trying to do is just make sure that we don't become like a source of an outbreak. You know, it, it's one of those where, 
Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a little bit extreme. And we, the, the, the thing that's great is last year, both staff and players uh, did such a good job of sort of obeying and honoring all of the uh, things that we put into place that we didn't have any issues, right? So that sort of creates a situation mm-hmm. where everybody thinks, oh, well, maybe we, we don't need to do that stuff anymore. Well, as soon as you start doing that stuff, maybe you have the outbreak that means a canceled tournament, and then maybe that means the next one's canceled, then the next one because you got to sort of do it for 14 days and all of this kind of stuff. So, you know, until we get to a situation where we have, whether it's herd immunity or, you know, the majority of people who want to get the vaccine have been vaccinated or whatever it is, I don't think we yet have sort of defined what the – the line in the sand is yet as I don't think anybody has, but you know, it's, it's evolving so quickly. I think I saw yesterday, the CDC said, Hey, if you've had the vaccine, you can, you know, hang out with others who've had the vaccine without masks and all this kind of stuff. So we're certainly trending in the right direction. And, you know, we kind of, when we went into this had a plan of, you know, to have all of the um, precautions and think uh things that we uh, that we put into place through at least June. Could it be earlier? Could it be a month earlier? Maybe. Could it be a month later? Maybe. But that's kind of, we wanted to sort of at least plan through June to be under the same sort of protocols as we were last season. Yeah, and I think that's good because, um, you know, r- regardless of, of what happens moving forward, I think it's good to be cautious anyways, because the last thing you, you want to do is get the get the season going and then, like you said, have have an issue or something where you've got to, you know, quarantine for 14 days and then, you know, sponsors, you know, got an event coming up and suddenly you've got to cancel or you've got to make adjustments. So I think that's I think it's good, at least, you know, for this season, hopefully next season or maybe even later in the season, uh, you know, we'll be able to sort of peel the curtain back and things will be a little bit more uh, normalized. But I think it's good, um, especially early in the season to to kind of continue on that. And it sounds like you guys have really had a good handle on, on everything uh, from last year and, and going into this year. So, you know, kudos to you and your staff and, and all of the uh, the volunteers and that. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Let me ask you a question. If someone that happens to be listening in the audience that might be interested in becoming involved with the LPGA as a partner, as a sponsor, tell me or tell them what they would get out of being associated with the LPGA and why they should do it. Sure. Well, the, um, well, obviously appreciate the forum. Love those sort of questions, Cindy. But the, um, you know, I think that the thing that we pride ourselves on the LPGA is not being a sort of a one size fits all solution. So for, you know, any prospective sponsor or anybody's excited about getting behind women's athletes or, you know, the LPGA specifically or the Symmetra tour or the legends tour or, our LPGA girls golf programs or our LPGA amateurs or our perfect, you know, there's, there's so many tentacles. Most people just think of the LPGA as the LPGA tour, which is completely understandable. That's what's on TV. That's our highest profile property, but there's so many other ways to get involved and, you know, support the LPGA and its initiatives. Like I said, you know, the girls golf program is geared toward trying to get, uh, golf club into the hands of young girls so as they get further along in their maybe you know into college or into their careers or whatever they've been exposed to the game aren't intimidated by it and pick it up and it becomes a game for a lifetime so we've got you know programs from trying to get clubs in the hands of five-year-olds to all the way to promoting the opportunity to play with some of the legends of the game Cindy like yourself you know who are the sort of the, the big names uh, that have sort of uh, made the LPGA tour what it is today 
all the way to the, you know, the Symmetra Tour, which are, you know, which we're promoting as the future stars of the LPGA. So there's a lot of different things. So it's not sort of like if somebody calls up and says, oh, we want to be involved with the LPGA. A, a tournament isn't, an LPGA tournament isn't necessarily for everybody or the, you know, the price doesn't necessarily match with whatever their budget or marketing parameters are. So we look and say, well, you can sort of have the LPGA Tour experience for, you know, less than a tenth of the price but in, on the Symmetra Tour and still have the Pro-Am experience as you can on the Legends Tour. And uh, so it really just depends on the objective of the of the marketer or the person who wants to get involved because there's a lot of different price points and a lot of different uh, ways that we can help somebody to achieve their goals. So it's uh, we're definitely not a one-size-fits-all, and we certainly uh, understand that we maybe have to work a little bit harder for our for sponsor dollars than our uh, brothers up the street in Ponte Vedra, but uh, that's what we pride ourselves on doing. And uh, I think when you look at the history of uh, sponsors we have both on the Symmetra Tour and LPGA, uh, you know, we have partners who've been with us for year after year after year. And so, uh, you know, when, it, when you look and you, you see partners renewing, um, that should be a good signal to others that, uh, that we deliver a good experience. Awesome. Thank you. Ted? So, Mike, let me just ask you one uh, quick question here before I ask the uh, another question here. Um, just going back to about tournaments and that, what about fan attendance? Or is anybody besides the players and obviously any support staff and things uh, directly connected with the tournament, are they going to be able to uh, come now and watch, uh, or is that still uh, not something that's going to be happening for this season, or at least right now? Yeah, it really is on a you know uh, case by case basis based on the municipalities. I mean, obviously, we see now that there's different states have different degrees of how open they are. So we'll follow the leads of local municipalities. But I would say that in most cases, um, we're going to be falling in terms of like the number of people that can gather. We're, we'll fall below sort right. of what those um, what those levels of attendance are. Not to mention that our attendance is we're not you know jamming a bunch of people into an arena where they're all sitting together, sure. you know, you're out there, however many acres it is of, of land and every, there's plenty of room to social distance. So our plan at this point is to, uh, to allow, you know, friends, family, fans, et cetera, to come out and enjoy mm. our events because I think in terms of the, the numbers, they're not anything that's going to sort of raise any red flags with the local officials. What about some of the international players traveling? Um, you know, obviously there, there's still some restrictions there, um, are many of them, I mean, some of them I know probably were already here, uh, for other reasons and are going to be fine, but is there still going to be a little bit of a barrier for some of the international players that are on the tour? We've been able to, um, through sort of our relationships, uh, with folks in DC and, you know, the, the one thing that I would say is all of the, the sports leagues. So it's not just us in the PGA tour that are sure. working on this, but you know, other, the other leagues, maybe with the exception of the NFL, you know, have international players that they've all had to try to get into the country to uh, to open their seasons. Obviously, Major League Baseball is hugely international with their players. So um, we've been uh, had a lot been able to sort of coordinate with some of the larger leagues to make sure that our players have whatever they need in terms of travel visas, et cetera, to to get in and play. So um, we've not had any trouble getting any of our players in. Um, frankly, when we canceled, uh, we didn't cancel the season last year, but when we sort of held everybody's space last year uh, on the sketch on both the LPGA tour and Symmetra tour and said that your priority list position is going to be held. A lot of that in part was due to the fact that we didn't quite know the answer to that question of who could get in and who couldn't. And, you know, if we're playing and people are moving on the, 
priority list, but so-and-so can't get in just because she happens to be from such and such country. That's not really fair. So we didn't really know when this all started last year, how that was all going to sort out. But uh, to this point, I I don't um, anticipate having any uh, issues with players getting into into compete, which is obviously uh, first and foremost. Right. Uh, and I think that was a great decision that, that um, you guys did last year um, and, and being able to do that. I think it was a very fair setup for everybody. Um, again, like you said, we didn't really know what was going to happen. So it's kind of unfair that, you know, international players that maybe weren't able to get in or or had other uh, travel issues for whatever reason um, weren't, weren't going to be penalized. Um, let me ask you something. Let's get away from the the, the travel and whatnot. And I just want to ask you uh, another question that um, about the players in general, you've been with the tour now for a number of years and you've gotten a chance from your very early beginnings to really watch uh, a lot of the up and coming uh, players. And, and as they've graduated on to, to the next level and that to today's uh, group, what do you notice if anything different from the players coming out um, and again, I know last year was a little bit difficult, but but even last year and what you're seeing coming up through the ranks now onto the Symmetra Tour, what's different, if anything, from the, the level or caliber of players coming out now as opposed to, say, when you first started on the Symmetra? Um, I mean, the players are better. There's just no question in terms of the depth of talent, uh, the quality of talent, and um you know, admittedly, when so 2012 was sort of my first, you know, graduating class, I guess you could say, because I started in in July of 2012. But yep. those first three or four classes, frankly, we were kind of hoping for players to make cuts, right? I mean, it was kind of one of those like you were graduating 10 players, and they just really weren't performing at a at a high level, which you know, was was troubling. Um, you know, we sat down with some of the players who were, you know, in the top 10 who performed very well in the semester <laughs> tour and said, you know, what are some of the things that we're not doing um, to prepare you accordingly? And a lot of it came down to, you know, course setup and what we were doing to, to set up the golf courses. So they made some recommendations there. We've incorporated LPGA tour uh, rules officials. We brought some LPGA tour rules officials down to help us with setup of the golf courses on Symmetra tours is sort of a cross training of our staff to make sure that we're setting up the golf courses to be more like they'll see when they get onto the LPGA tour. And then I would just say that based on the, just the quality of the experience, if you measure it both by the the quality of the venues that we're going to now, or the fact that, you know, purses have virtually doubled since, you know, in uh, when I started in 2012, there were just attracting better players. So international players are playing. There was, there was a player. I remember in my first year where um, she was a player from Norway and she had played at Florida state and she had gone back to play the European tour. And I was talking to her and I said, well, why, why didn't you just stay? And she said, well, the schedule was so spotty and inconsistent and it was really hard for an international player. You know, like if you play one week and took three weeks off and, you know, played two weeks and took three weeks off, which is kind of what the schedule was in that 2012, um, 2012-2013 timeframe, um, it was definitely um, difficult to attract international players. But I would say maybe a turning point was in 2016, uh, Madeline Sagstrom became the player of the year. She played in, I believe, you know, 15 of 23 tournaments. So she only played in, you know, two-thirds of three-quarters of the event. And she won $164,000, um, setting still the all-time mark to this day 
And I think that kind of just woke a lot of people up to the fact that, wow, if I'm a good player who wants to play on the LPGA Tour, I can go over there and make a little bit of money. They're not going to make a killing, but the economics mm. of it, given that we've built a tour where players are able to drive from place to place, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you look at uh, maybe let's just say the, the ladies European tour, which has a little bit more um, larger purse opportunities because they co-sanction a couple of events with the LPGA tour. But if you look at the rest of the ladies European tour schedule, the purses aren't too much higher than they are on the symmetric tour. And you've got to fly from country to country and do all of this and then rent a car and do all that. So the, the costs associated with being on the, on the Sumatra tour, I think are, you know, it's relatively easier to travel. And then the last point I'll make is that, you know, that some of the international golf associations, specifically Sweden, um, you know, they, they want their players ultimately to find their way to playing on the LPGA tour. So what they've done is they've established a residence in, um, at, in uh, Phoenix where they're sort of their players that are going to come over and try to make it onto the LPGA tour and play on the Sumatra tour have a base of operations. So the, you know, the players from, in this case, Sweden, have said, you know, we're, we're going to set up a place where they, these players can almost have a home in the United States and not try to worry about where mm-hmm. they're renting and all this. They can all have one place to, you know, have all their mail and have all their stuff when they're traveling. And that sort of shows that, uh, you know, the rest of the world is taking notice that if, hey, if you want to have success on the LPGA Tour, the best preparation to, to do that is to play the Symmetra Tour. So we're definitely attracting better players which is in turn attracting, you know, is, it means we're graduating better players. And then if you look like now we've got players who are winning tournaments as opposed to just making cuts. And so, um, you know, when, when the 10 that we graduate every year, I have no doubt the majority will find, you know, success on the LPGA tour just because they played against really good players. I mean, Nellie Corda, when she graduated from the Symmetra tour a couple of years ago, she graduated as number nine, on the uh, on the money list and she only got into the ninth position i think in the last event of the year so you know and now she's won three or four times on the on the lpga mm-hmm. tour since she's been out there so the, the level of competition is just uh, really strong and you have to be consistently good week in and week out to uh finish in that top 10 yeah and i think with having um you know more talent coming out to the symmetra uh, is obviously eye-catching for the sponsors as well. Uh, if they see more uh, high-caliber players coming out on the tour, it makes it uh, more inviting or, or enticing for them to want to uh, to jump on board as well. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I have a different question. I had a friend reach out, and he said, what is the tour doing for spectators if they allow, you know, even if it's just a few to ensure that the spectators don't have COVID because he, he's a retired school administrator who has now created this sensor that takes everyone's temperature as they walk into a sporting event. I'm like, what? Who thought we would have needed that? So that's my question. Are you taking any precautions for hopefully the spectators coming into events? And if so, what are you doing? Yeah, so we, we have historically been requiring temperature checks at all of our events, and some of the places that we're going um, have uh, – are some of the municipalities that we're going to are going to require the um, temperature checks. But uh, I don't know if we're going to sort of continue that through the season, only because there's been – it's sort of doubt, dubious or doubtful um, on whether or not those have any effectiveness in, uh, you know, finding mm-hmm. people who have 
COVID is because there's so many people who are asymptomatic and all of that kind of stuff. So you don't, right. you know, having a fever doesn't necessarily mean that you have COVID or the fact that you don't have a fever doesn't mean that you don't have COVID. But um, so that it's really just one of those where like a lot of things where, you, you know, you go into the supermarket and it says, Hey, if you're showing any of these symptoms, please don't come into the supermarket. It's kind of the, the same thing where it's self-policing. But the, uh, the thing, biggest thing I would say is it relates to spectators at our events. And even for the players who are playing in our events is we, we've not even had a situation where we've had a player and caddy who, who are only interacting on the golf course um, transfer the, you know, transfer COVID between the player and caddy because they're outside. Um, and it's very hard. My, my understanding is to transmit it outside. So as it relates to spectators, it's kind of one of those that, that's self-policing and everybody can, you know, social distance around an 18 hole, uh, 18 hole golf course. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're kind of headed, I think we're headed in the direction, I think of a little bit more of personal uh, responsibility. And if people don't, feel mm-hmm. comfortable with that's how we're handling it then we'll see you next year awesome mm-hmm. awesome let me uh mike let me ask you something about uh the courses in particular you know we've seen over the last several years um many of the courses just because the length that the players uh you know on the men's tour have been hitting it they've had to increase the length you know move the holes uh you know the tees back a little bit more um and I know over the last few seasons, interviewing some of the winners coming off the Symmetra, and Cindy will attest that some of them, uh, I mean, are just bombing it out there. Uh, these young girls are just belting it. Have you found that as well? I mean, obviously not to the same degree, but have you found that you've had to adjust some of the courses along the way in order to, um, I guess, make it more challenging for some of the bigger hitters on tour? Well, that, that goes back to so the, the conversation that I was referencing earlier. We talked to some of the players who said, you know, that we weren't setting up the golf courses the, the same as they were finding on the LPGA Tour. And one of, the, um, one of the examples they gave to us was length. So when we were sitting down with these players and we, we said, you know, oh, the golf courses are set up differently. And they said, how? And they said, first of all, they're longer. Like when I play on the Symmetra Tour, I just can hit driver wedge, driver wedge. Sometimes I can hit a hybrid wedge, and I'm always hitting a wedge. And a wedge is a green light, and a green light means I'm firing at pins. So I'm always firing at pins, so I'm always thinking about making birdie, right? So now, but they said, Mm -hmm. but when you get on the LPGA Tour, in some cases I'm hitting driver hybrid. And so now I'm hitting a hybrid Mm -hmm. in. And I'm so used to firing at pins that I don't know how to sort of manage my game. I haven't been prepared to sort of manage my game. So now I fire at a pin that's tucked, and now I've short-sided myself, and now I've made bogey, whereas, you know, on the Symmetra Tour, I was maybe used to being a couple under par by this point. Now I'm a couple over par, and now I'm chasing, and, all. you know, now mentally you're mm-hmm. sort of wondering if, if you're supposed to be there. So without question, the uh, lengthening of the golf courses, the tucking of the pins, has been something that we focused on to just be more like um, the LPGA, because if we're not graduating 10 quality players or we're not, or the players that even come up through the the qualifying school that don't finish in the top 10, if they're not prepared for the LPGA by playing on the Symmetra tour, then, then what are we doing? Right. So we need to, we need to be making these adjustments. And and that's what I say, you know, with the golf courses is if we we need to be playing on LPGA tour caliber golf courses, and in some cases, we'll be playing on LPGA Tour caliber golf courses that might be in communities that just aren't large enough to host a LPGA event 
um, year in, year out. Mm-hmm. And by large enough, I mean just in terms of the corporate community that's there to sort of, you know, churn up $4 million a year that it costs to uh, to host an LPGA Tour event by the time you, you round up all the sponsorship dollars. So that, that's sort of the benefit of the Symmetra Tour is that we can go into some smaller communities that have quality golf courses, set them up like they're LPGA tournaments in that way we're uh, we're graduating the players but a hundred percent lengthening the golf course has been in, been something we've focused on making the whole locations more challenging and frankly the the better and the deeper our field gets the harder we can make the golf courses because one of the challenges we had in the in the earlier days uh, you know again 2012 13 when I started with the tour was we didn't have a very necessarily deep field, but you've, you've got to get everybody around the golf course to finish the golf tournament. So in some cases, you're setting the golf course up for the 144th player in the field as much as you're setting it up for the first player in the field because they all have to finish, you know, before dark. So, um, so now as the players get better, you can set the golf courses harder and know that the players can find their way around. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, so many players, um, like I said, you know, Cindy and I have interviewed over the last several years are just, I mean, hitting incredible distances. And I I was just curious as to, you know, whether or not you've had to, much like the other uh, tours, had to make those adjustments. Um, Cindy, any final thoughts before we we let uh, Mike leave? No, I'm just grateful that you're so hardworking and so committed and dedicated to the LPGA. So thank you and happy anniversary for your work. Oh, thank you very much. Now it's been uh, mm-hmm. super rewarding, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the, these young ladies, both on the Symmetra Tour and LPGA Tour, deserve you know better than we have. And I think all of us that are close to it just uh, enjoy the idea of waking up every morning and trying to uh, to make it incrementally a little bit better than it maybe was yesterday or the year before. So uh, certainly appreciate being a part of the ride, and uh, looking forward to many more years. Thank you. Perfect. Well, Take we appreciate guys. it, Mike. Uh, Yeah, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. All right, that was Mike Nichols, uh, Chief Business Officer of the Symmetra Tour, uh, kicking off another uh, season next week. And we'll look forward to the following week of having uh, our first winner of the season off of the Symmetra Tour. All right, before we bring Jamie on, a quick message about Golf Tips. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. We're getting ready to bring on our next guest. Uh, She has uh, become a good friend of mine over the last several years. She's been on uh, the shows, and uh, we've talked many times off-air as well. I'm talking, of course, Jamie Leno-Zimron, who is a Class A LPGA teacher professional. She's also a six-degree Aikido black belt and a somatic psychologist, as well as a corporate speaker and mind-body fitness trainer. And she's a Phi Beta Kappa graduate uh, from Stanford University and the creator of Kiai Golf, The Centered Way. Please, uh, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron. 
Good morning. It's, it's really morning here, 6.30 a.m. Hi, Cindy and Ted. Well, How are you doing? getting up at the crack of dawn for us. You know, I'm not really a morning person. I'm clearing my throat so I can talk well. <laughs> but you guys are special, and, uh, yeah, I'm honored and happy to be here. Thanks. Thank well, you. we we appreciate it. Um, so I know you've got something uh, new and exciting to share with us, something you've been working on. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to you, and it's uh, it's a new training initiative, actually. It's uh, Where Business Meets the Green, uh, Turning Golf into Gold. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, thank you for asking. It's a collaboration between myself and Debbie Wakeis, who many people know in the golf world. Debbie's mm-hmm. the founder and creator for the oh, last couple of decades of Golf for Cause. So she's a very fine amateur player based in Phoenix and just a stellar woman, human being. Yeah, you meet Debbie, a lover. She's just awesome. And uh, so mm-hmm. she's been working for many, many years in the business realm, creating golf events, golf tournaments, raising money for charity, Golf for Cause. Uh, it's a perfect name for what she does. And so we have been threatening each other to team up for many, many years, and uh, this has been one of the benefits of COVID, I guess, that we actually uh, have been <clears throat> able to spend quite a bit of time getting together. So I've been working in golf, of course. I've been playing since I was seven, but I've uh, been a LPGA teaching professional for the last 20 years or so, and I've created a very holistic approach to golf instruction, and then carried it as well into the business world. I do a lot of corporate speaking and training. And, uh, you know, we just looked together and said, as many people have, and of course Cindy has been doing so much work in that realm as well, that both golf and business are realms that have been, number one, dominated by by men, we could say white men. And so the ethic and the opportunity hasn't been there nearly enough for women in golf. And um, so in coming together, we really want to provide leadership training and golf training. So my bringing, you know, uh, LPGA teaching um, expertise to to the table as well as golf experience, and Debbie bringing her passion for golf and her great playing with her business experience. We thought, hey, this is going to make a great team. So we want to provide training not only for women. This is really for everybody. Uh, training for people in business to get better at golf and people in uh, who are, um, you know, of course, golfers to be able to optimize the opportunities that are there in uh, using golf, which is really the business sport to advance their, you know, their work, their work and their play. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Yeah, very good. And, and just by the way, we've had Debbie on the show here uh, a number of times over the years and uh, she uh, sure. actually had came on and brought, uh, uh, Marilyn Smith, of course, the late Marilyn Smith, who was one of the original uh, 13 founders of the LPJ, and um, they came on uh, a few years back, and then Debbie came on, actually, I believe last year she was on again. Uh, so she's been with us a few times and very familiar with her, and uh, a great uh, a great am- ambassador to the game as well. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Can I, can, I, can I use that as just one sure. more place of connection? Yep, sure. Is, um, so Debbie, of course, is very, very close with Marilyn Smith, one of the 13 founders of the LPGA. And I've known Marilyn. I've participated in her uh, Marilyn's tournament for over the last decade or so where she's been raising money. 
uh, the tournament has been raising money to provide scholarships for young women uh, to go to college and play golf um, and then you know whatever they their passion is whether they want to continue in the golf world as a player or in um, you know in their career or to advance their careers that play golf in college so uh, the foundation uh, we now have a foundation but uh, for the tournament since Maryland has passed um, has provided over a million dollars already in scholarships to over 200 what we call pearls because <laughs> Maryland used to wear pearl necklaces so every recipient is now a pearl anyways uh, so Debbie was so close with Maryland and I've been extremely close with Shirley Spork another of the 13 founders of the LPGA and the founder actually of the teaching division in the LPGA uh, starting in 1959. Marilyn and Shirley were best friends for 72 years. And uh, so uh, we've been so, Debbie and I have both been so fortunate to be so close to these two absolute icons, legends, and most delightful women in the world. And since Marilyn's passing, we've talked quite a bit and Debbie has really led the way. I've been, um, uh, you know, I think a, a, an inspiration. She calls me her left and right hand <laughs> in, the, in the effort. We created the Marilyn Smith uh, Founders Legacy Foundation. So we actually have a nonprofit, a foundation, and carrying that work on. Uh, in just two, what is it, two weeks on Sunday, March 21st, we are holding the first ever virtual tea, usually at the event, which uh, happens in person. We play golf. We've actually had so many participants in the tournament that we had to expand to a 36-hole golf course to accommodate all of the players of the Pro-Am. Uh, but, of course, right now we're, we're virtual. And so the tea will be from 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific time, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, in two weeks on Sunday the 21st. And we have... There's some really great guests, Shirley herself, of course, and uh, uh, Renee Powell, who we could talk about, uh, Nancy Lopez, the president, uh, or actually the director of the, of the Symmetra Tour, Dean, and uh, we're uh, one of the pearls, uh, several other people that we're still confirming. And they'll be interviewed by Ron Syrak, the, of course, a uh, great golf writer. So we're really trying to continue Maryland's legacy, the legacy, uh, the legacy of all the founders with um, – continuing the scholarship effort, the tournament effort, and also gathering all of their memorabilia and having it in one place because their legacy is so profound. One of the programs that Debbie and I are creating has to do with the founders, and it's really looking at the lessons that they have left us because if you think about what they did, they founded the LPGA in 1950, and it's 2021, so what's that, 71 years. And 50 or 71 years ago, this was a time when post-war and women in America were supposed to be aspiring to be June Cleaver and Donna Reed and get to the suburbs, right, and be great homemakers and support their families. But they weren't going out there as, you know, women to, to be athletes, to be professional athletes, to be at the level of Dave Didrikson, who was, you know, part of the founders, of course, and gathered around her. They were businesswomen. They had to be strategic. They had to make marketing alliances. They had to know how to get this idea and reality of women playing golf out there to the communities and accepted. So they were incredible trailblazers. They had so much energy and vision that we think can inspire uh, in a very evergreen and very fresh way exactly where women are today uh, in 2021 in terms of really making inroads and, um, you know, being out there as, as powerful women supporting themselves and, and optimizing their potential. Right. Well said. 
Um, no, very well said. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I know you've got uh, a question or two. So tell us what you're going to be doing with the uh, virtual tea. That sounds great. Yeah, it's, you know, every year it's just such a wonderful event in person, of course. And, you know, we get there and there's a, um, you know, obviously usually a lot of food. We don't get to do that. you got to bring your own food to this one at home But uh, as you're listening. But at the tea we have uh, – of course, the interviews, and it's the interviews that are just so inspiring, and Ron Syrak is so wonderful to listen to to these great women who have, you know, founded the LPGA, been trailblazers, Renee's been a trailblazer as um, as the only the second African-American woman to ever play on tour and all that she and her family have done in golf, um, you know, combating racism, frankly, and making more entry for, um, you know, for black people in the sport. So she'll be there, and um, Nancy Lopez, you know, legends. Uh, Nancy's been there in person before. Um, who else? Oh, gosh, uh, Sandra Palmer, was U.S. Open winner. Um, hearing from the Pearls, we, we just had a Zoom with all the Pearls a few months ago to hear what a difference that scholarship money has made to them in their education and then going forward, uh, you know, past college has been just so inspiring and heartwarming, and it really makes you feel that what you're doing when you – if you're a player uh, – and play in the pro-am, of course, pay your money, where that money's going, um, you know, makes you feel like you're really doing something that, that matters in these women's, young women's lives and, you know, ultimately in the world because they go on to be professionals in whatever field they're in and to make a difference, uh, you know, as, as young, powerful women in the world. So, you know, we'll hear from them, and it's just going to be – the other part, I should say, is a live auction, and we've got all kinds of items that have been contributed, lots of good stuff to – to bid on and to get, of course, Shirley and uh, Shirley and uh, Marilyn both have incredible books that they they've written about their lives and about getting the tour started. So you know things like that. It's just a a really warm and inspiring time. How would a, our listeners sign up to be a part of this? Um, oh my goodness, I will send you the information. I don't have in my head the URL, but of course we have a an easy way to do that and a beautiful flyer with the information. So maybe I can send that to you and we can post it. That would be awesome. Okay. Very yes. good. Um, yeah. So Jamie, let me ask you a little bit more about uh, your collaboration with Debbie. Um, so you, you've, you know, put together a program to help um, sort of draw that parallel between playing and, and the corporate world. What specifically are some of the things that you guys are going to be doing together? What's, um, what are some of the things that you are going to bring to, to the table, if you will, to um, – is it going to be more corporate speaking? Is it going to be more on-course, um, you know, things of that nature? Give us an idea of overall what, what's going to be involved in the program. Yeah, thank you. The program – we're developing a couple of signature programs, and – one of them is called the Essentials for Excellence. And um, uh, let's see. So with that, we we're really combining both Debbie's expertise and mine. So we will be giving uh, – we'll, there are going to be half-day programs, I would say, is what we we're really designing them as, about four hours. And right now they will be virtual. We are looking forward to the, the day when they can be in person, and they'll uh, probably be all day long because we'll be able to be out at the golf course, go out on the range, go out on the golf course itself. So what we want to do is help people develop their golf skills and as well as their business skills and their business 
uh, you could say partially networking skills, but also their real awareness of how um, w- when they're playing business golf as opposed to just golf, uh, how they are revealing who they are, which people are always sizing each other up, right? Do I want, not only do I want to play with you, do I want to work with you? So what can we learn about our business partners or potential business partners through playing golf with them? So, you know, we've got a lot of uh, training in, in that realm, a lot of stuff to share, great stories, great information, and uh, as well as improving people's golf skills. Because, you know, there are a lot of folks and women, I, I could say in particular, not always, you could be a beginner at golf and not feel comfortable on the golf course. So when people have, you know, upgraded their golf skills or even have skills, they got to get in the game, right? Get in the business game, get in the golf game to get in the business game of golf. Um, you know, they, things just go better. They need to be able to at least handle themselves along the golf course, know the etiquette. We'll be going over all that sort of thing. Um, and also the etiquette in business golf, the, the awareness of what you are looking for, what you're seeing when you're playing golf with someone and they go, Oh, is that really what I want? Oh, that is, I would love to work with you. I love those qualities. You know what? Not so sure. Look at the way they're reacting when during adversity here, right? Or, um, you know, kind of what are your social skills and uh, you know, how open are you? Uh, how flexible are you? A lot of different information. We call them the litmus test of golf. And we also, um, like you, Cindy, um, are using um, a disc assessment so that people can understand uh, personalities better and, you know, kind of what they're seeing. And the awareness also of what you're, uh, I call it what you're revealing about yourself. What are people learning about you and on the golf course that would relate for them in the business environment? Do they want to work with you, hire you, make a deal with you, collaborate with you, become colleagues with you? The other big part of it, of course, is playing in, <clears throat> as we get back to playing in uh, actual physical events, whether it's programs, charity events, there's so many networking opportunities. So we're going to be talking about that, but also the golf skills themselves. And as you know, Ted, I'm very big on a holistic approach to golf, which is to say basically what Annika Sorensen said, and let me see if I can get this right so early in the morning, that we are not uh, we are not uh, golfers who, we are not human beings who happen to be golfers. We're golfers who happen to, wait, I've got that mixed up. <laughs> Let's see, we are not golfers who happen to be human beings. We're human beings who happen to be golfers. So it's this human being that right. we are and cultivating who we are, our, our mind, our mental capacities, our physical, our emotions, and our spirit. So those are our four faculties. Uh, that's how our energy expresses itself, and it's our energy that makes the golf ball go. So when we understand those things and we cultivate each of our faculties and we get them working in harmony, oh, my God, golf all of a sudden starts to be more, more doable, improvements happen more quickly and easily. So we're going to really give those golf skills, um, this holistic approach, um, fitness, using your golf club as your health club, and to pattern your golf swing so that you can have a consistent, correct golf swing. We are able to go over those things, you know, even indoors. I've been teaching, you know, being, been able to teach um, indoors the golf swing itself and, and varying skills um, in, in hotel rooms or in office buildings. And, you know, we can do it in our homes. You don't actually have to be on the golf course to get better at golf, develop your golf swing, get those skills about focus and about self-mastery. So we're going to be talking about that, those sorts of things and, um, and training to relate self-mastery to self-leadership and leadership on the golf course and in the business world. So these are some of the things we're going to get into, as well as our other signature program, which is around all, all the um, just astonishing and inspiring lessons from the founders. As we got to talking about that, we realized 
that was just going to be kind of an adjunct thing we were going to talk about for a while. We realized that's a program in itself. So we're really delineating. What did they, what did these incredible uh, pioneering women do and what qualities, personal qualities did they have in order to successfully uh, become professionals, uh, you know, back in the, in uh, the mid 1900s and to create this tour that has had you know, so much power and longevity. They did something really special, and we can all do that. They, they were entrepreneurs, you know, uh, way back when. Let me just ask you a, a quick follow-up um, with respect to some of the business uh, leaders that you've worked with and that you know as well as I do when, you know, the CEO of a company is preparing, whether it be a, a boardroom meeting or a sales presentation, um, you know, they go through the motion, they go through the steps uh, in order to prepare for whatever that presentation might be. But a lot of them, for some reason, don't seem to put that same preparation uh, together once they get out to the golf course. Is there anything that you do in some of your programs, uh, Jamie, that helps them to take that focus that they have in the business world and now bring it out in the golf course? That's a really great question, and the answer is yes. <laughs> um, preparation, practice. People think that practice and um, pra- uh, preparation are there to make us perfect, but they're really there to help us make progress and to be the best we can to reach our potential. Yeah. So what I've learned through the martial arts, and I'm also a, a psychologist and a somatic body-oriented psychologist, which kind of refers to that holistic, you know, where, where, there is no just mental game in business or in golf, where it's all a mind-body game, and the body is where we, we perform, right, where we got to do it. <laughs> We're out there, and it's also people are reading our body language. So what I've learned through the martial arts is that there are these essentials for excellence, and they're universal. They're how our energy works, and I'll give you some of what they are. They're not a mystery, but really having training in them is what uh, I personally have become so good at through, you know, decades uh, of being a sensei, uh, uh, you know, master instructor. So they are things like centering. How do, you, how do you get centered so that you're not just up in your head and up in upper body tension? You're down in your belly. You're down in your legs and feet. That's what we call base. So you have a foundation. And when you're in your uh, full body and lower body, ugh, stress calms. It's, it's amazing how you exhale, you relax, you breathe. Breathing is another essential for excellence, grounding, um, because then you're, you're fully present. You have steadiness. You have balance. You, uh, you have power and strength. And you can do that in, you know, in a moment. In a, uh, you need to be able to do that. If you're speaking in business, you might be giving a presentation. You might just be sitting one-to-one with, with a, in a, a person. Every person is important. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot at stake, a lot of the line in, in business. Same is true on the golf course, right? So you're standing over this, your shot. You're walking in between shots. You're looking at, oh, what were my results? What have I got to do next? <laughs> you're thinking about that. You need to be focused. But you need to do that in a calm way. When we're stress reactive, we tend to get, you know, pumped up with adrenaline too much and cortisol. We're up in our upper body. Stress breathing is up here and belly breathing, which is what the Buddha knew, what all the meditators and yogis and martial arts masters know. These are things that carry over um, directly from business leadership, self-mastery, self-management into the same on the golf course. So these are um, 
sort of mind-body essentials, and that you can practice them, being centered and grounded, relaxed, breathing, what I call unified, getting uh, your left and right sides of your body and brain working together, your lower and upper body, your inner and outer body. We have a whole inner experience and inner energy that's got to get out to our physical limbs so that we can execute. You know, in golf, we talk a lot about visualization and execution. Golf and sports, same is true in, in the business world. We carry those things over. We relate them so that the good news is you don't really have to learn different things. These are the same skills. They're universal, uh, universal principles for success, universal essentials for excellence. And so the carryover is direct. You learn those skills, and then you just learn how to apply them in business, in golf. And the next beautiful part of that is in your life. I mean, they're just who you are, right? It's that human being we are that happens to be a golfer, that happens to be a, you know, a manager, a CEO, a, a worker. It doesn't matter that happens to be a, a mom or dad or a kid. It really doesn't matter the role we play. It's the human being we are. We start to get some mastery about that. Then we apply those skills and those qualities in the specifics of the of the, the realm, the game we're in. Ultimately, it's a big game of life, right? The, the, the business game, the golf game. Mm-hmm. So I hope that gives you some idea. And that we can really practice those things. The beautiful part is in golf, from some of the, you know, I've developed a lot of um, mind-body fitness exercises, swing patterning exercises. They use your golf club. So imagine bringing a seven iron and a putter to a business event. <laughs> and you're going to learn those skills mm-hmm. through golf. And uh, those skills are going to work in your golf game. They're going to also work in your business game. But you get to do it through golf. And then you can practice in your office as well as obviously the golf course or the you know, dry range golf course with your golf club. That makes it fun. That makes it doable. And that makes it really relevant. It makes a difference in how you actually perform. Because, you know, the bottom line, honestly, in, in everything, and certainly in business and in golf, is, you know, it's numbers. What's your score? How did you do? Did you mm-hmm. make that shot? Did you make that deal? Did you hit the sweet spot? That's what we're looking for. So I, I should say that. I teach a lot about centering, writing a whole book about it. And uh, we need to make centered contact in golf, right, on the golf, golf club, and we call that the sweet spot. And so my my theory, uh, Stanford, right? You mentioned it. It's really tough here. Ready? Centered plus centered ought to equal centered. <laughs> if I'm centered, I move in a centered way. I maintain center. I'm probably going to make centered contact on a consistent and higher and higher percentage basis. The better I get at it, as opposed to kind of random. You know, I hit a good one now. I hit it. Ah, oh, it's a good, bad. Uh, they, you know, you want more than random. Uh, you know, centered contact. We we got to have more consistent, higher percentage centered contact, sweet spot contact, and then we start living in the sweet spot of life, we you know, of business and golf. And I can tell you, it's a good theory, but and it's a simple theory, but it's doable and it works. I've seen it work for decades. So let's, um, if somebody's interested and wants to participate in some of the programs that you're offering, where can they go to get more information or where can they go to sign up? Is there a website that you can direct them to? Yeah, absolutely. My website, you can get to it two different ways, which is nice. So my whole approach to golf that blends Aikido and, um, and golf is kiigolf.com. K-I-A-I. K-I. K-I-A-I golf.com. And you'll get to the same place through the larger um, you know, the larger rubric of all my work, which is called the, T-H-E, the Centered Way, 
C-E-N-T-E-R-E-D, thecenteredway.com. So uh, go to the website, sign up, get there, you know, newsletters, all free, whatever. Um, I actually, I always tell you this, Ted, I like to talk to people. So uh, people can give me a call, 760-492-4653, which is 760-492-GOLF. And I've just had a text here from Debbie Wakis, and I can Mm -hmm. give you now where people can sign up for the Sunday virtual tea on March 21st. So Perfect. go ahead. It's, here it is. It's virtual Sunday tea, T-E-A, not T-E, T-E-A, virtual Sunday tea dot eventbrite.com. So they can sign up there. Virtual Perfect. Sunday tea ev- uh, dot eventbrite. Perfect. Um, well, Jimmy, we want to thank you for joining us this morning and sharing that. And uh, thank you, Debbie, for, for tuning in this morning and listening. Um, want to say hi to you. Um, but uh, keep doing the great work. And Jamie, of course, is going to be joining me uh, this season on some great Coach's Corner segments on Golf Talk Live uh, Thursday evening, so you want to make sure you tune in for that. We always have a lot of fun there. But keep up the great work, Jamie, and thank you very much for joining Cindy and I this morning. And um, if you want to participate in the virtual Sunday tea, uh, you can actually go to eventbrite.com and you can actually just type in virtual Sunday tea, and it'll take you there as well. So um, thank you very much, Jamie, for joining us this morning uh, on the Women of Golf. It's uh, been a pleasure as always. Well, thank you both, and thank you for all that you do, both of you, um, in the golf world and for, to support women in the golf world. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Okay, take care. All right. all right. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron, uh, LPGA teacher professional, and you can find her at com, and you can sign up for her programs there and as I mentioned if you're interested in uh, helping out with the uh, Marilyn Smith Foundation uh, participating in the virtual Sunday tea you can go to eventbrite.com and type in virtual Sunday tea and it'll pop up right there under the events um, as always uh, Cindy we're, we're getting ready for another Symmetra Tour season, so hopefully we'll have uh, some interesting young ladies, as I'm sure we will, and and I'm excited to get that going in the week after next. This coming week, uh, next week, of course, is when the event uh, first event starts, so it'll be a week later that we'll have um, our very first winner on the show. So we're excited about that, but uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. So make sure you stay tuned. So as always, uh, I'm Ted Rodrigo, and uh, thank you for joining Cindy and I. Uh, here on the Women of Golf. God bless everybody, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, as always, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.